That wraps up the house cleaning and let's get into the conversation. Um, Michelle Davis is going to kick us off uh, and set the table for our show today. Uh, we're very happy to have her. Welcome, Michelle. Michelle is a, a senior analyst um, for U.S. Distributed Solar at Wood McKenzie Power and Renewables. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. It's great to have you. Um, Michelle, you collaborated on an analysis for Wood McKenzie and Station A a month or so ago in a report called The True Potential of Commercial Solar. And Ira can share a link for that as well. Uh, and people can check out the public summary that's available. But you argue that there's more than 600,000 roofs out there primed for solar. Um, and, I, and I don't want to dig into that report, um, but just to say there's a huge potential market out there, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today. So Michelle yeah, offered yeah. to come on and share a few slides um, about the state of the commercial market. And so she's going to do that now. Ira, can you please start Michelle's slide share? And Michelle, yeah, thanks again for coming and um, and take us take us away uh, once the slides get started. Hi everybody, it's it's really fun to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Um, like Tom was saying, I cover uh, commercial solar and sort of the competitive landscape there. Um, so I thought I would just sort of set the set the stage today for the conversation with um, about you know four or five slides, um, sort of covering major trends uh, in the commercial solar industry. So Ira, if you want to go to my very first slide. First, what I thought we would do is just kind of take stock of the commercial solar market sort of as it stands today. I, I know there's like a lot on this slide, but I think it does a pretty good job of highlighting some of the major and important trends in commercial solar. I also just want to note that this slide includes data through um, just the end of 2019. I like to look at commercial solar data um, on an annual basis as opposed to on a quarterly basis. Not that it's not important to look at quarterly um, ups and downs and shifts in commercial solar, but I, I find that when I'm looking at some of these uh, bigger longer term trends because commercial solar can be fairly lumpy, um, it's, it's most valuable to look at that data on an annual basis. So the first thing that will probably pop out at you from this slide is that commercial solar projects have been getting bigger. It used to be the case that uh, like basically any, like earlier than 2015, most projects, at least on a capacity basis, were under a megawatt in size. And now that's completely flipped. And most projects are over, a, uh, are over one megawatt in size. Um, and part of what has driven that increase um, is also the growth of community solar. Um, and maybe for those of you who aren't as familiar uh, with the commercial segment, um, community solar projects are those where you might have a project located um, off-site away from where the, you know, where the customer's actual uh, building or location is. But then that one project will subscribe multiple customers and then allocate them bill credits. Um, so there's lots of programs like this set up across the United States. Another big trend that this um, slide sort of highlights is that the bigger the project, the more likely it is to be third-party owned and um, basically the easier that that project has access to financing. Some of the, the bigger financiers and investors out there like to have larger transaction sizes, and they also like to have um, sort of the fixed costs of doing business um, spread out over sort of a larger project, and that makes some of those costs a little bit more easy um, to swallow. 
Um, so that's kind of an important trend in the commercial solar industry. It's also really important in sort of the market of today to understand what's going on with um, corporate offtake agreements. And when I say corporate offtake agreements, um, what, I, what I tend to mean is when you have a large corporation, like say Amazon or Facebook, and they sign a power purchase agreement with a very large you know, utility scale solar project. They might sign a PPA for 50 to 100 megawatts of solar, for example. And at Woodmac, we, we consider those actual projects to be sort of utility scale projects for the sake of segmenting out the industry. But of course, the customers of those projects are indeed commercial businesses. And more and more businesses these days are entering into those agreements and they have become a bigger and bigger part of what it means for commercial businesses to go solar. So just as a bit of an indication of this trend, uh, 2019 was the very first year in which uh, the combination of community solar as well as corporate offtake agreements sort of surpassed the procurement from those more standard on-site commercial solar projects. And the customers of these agreements have also been getting more diverse. So it used to be the case in like 2016, 2017, that almost all of these deals were with big technology firms. So Microsoft, Amazon, Google, etc. But um, last year in particular, there was a much broader customer base. There were some industrial and retail and service firms that really started to make up a bigger share of those operating um, projects that were sort of corporate offtake agreements. Um, so again, just to emphasize, um, the there's no necessarily like right or wrong answer um, about like which one of these segments is is um, is best. It really depends on the customer and what type of uh, financial um, or or sort of like uh, energy uh, risk they might want to take. Um, but the sort of sort of major takeaway is that there's all these different options available to folks these days um, and going solar can entail um, a bunch of different structures and a bunch of different ways to procure solar. So Ira, if you can go to the next slide. And now thinking um, a little bit in terms of the competitive landscape, um, commercial solar remains a fairly fragmented business. So the vast majority, about 95% of installers in the United States, do less than five megawatts of installations a year. Um, and given today's average system sizes, that equates to about 20 deals or less per year. And this chart that I'm showing on this slide, this is an analysis of the share of companies that either grew or shrank from 2018 uh, to 2019. And now, during that year or, or from that from the shift from 2018 to 2019 the market did shrink um, by about two percent so it's sort of logical that most of the companies um, that most of the active companies their volumes also shrank um, but you'll notice that some of the smaller installers those that were doing you know 10 megawatts or less proved to be slightly more resilient than the larger installers and in in my view um, this kind of highlights the sweet spot that a lot of commercial so solar installers occupy. Um, so some of the companies that are sort of in that space include companies like maybe a HESP Solar or Geopeak Energy or Dynamic Energy. Um, and there's also a lot of sort of contractors and electricians that 
have sort of built up more of a, a local reputation and they have um, sort of a regional scope and they rely on sort of organic um, referral-based growth as opposed to really massive growth on a national scale. Um, all that being said though, the larger installers who do over 10 megawatts a year, while there's a lot fewer than, of them, they only make up about 3% of active installers. Um, they did install about half of all capacity in 2019. Um, so those installers make up a, a much larger share of the annual market. So sort of um, going back to some of the research that Tom had been referencing that I did earlier in the summer, um, I wanted to address, you know, what's the potential um, of this industry? And the somewhat typical narrative in the commercial solar industry is that the segment is untapped and there's unlimited potential. Um, but, you know, what, what exactly does that mean? So I, I did a collaboration with Station A. They are an awesome um, software company that aggregates data on all of the commercial buildings on in the U.S. Uh, that have over 10,000 square feet of roof space. Um, and then I combined that with our own um, Wood McKenzie commercial solar installation data. And what I found uh, is that three and a half percent of today's commercial buildings um, have sort of already been tapped for on-site solar. Uh, another one and a half or 1.1, sorry, percent can be accounted for through um, off-site projects like community solar subscriptions or some of those corporate offtake arrangements that I was mentioning earlier. And then uh, finally, about 25% of the buildings in the U.S. simply don't um, spend enough money um, on electricity in order to make commercial solar a sort of a viable um, proposition, meaning that it, would, it wouldn't hit the sort of the threshold of a 10% um, bill savings that commercial solar developers tend to look for. So what we're sort of left with um, at the end of the day is that 70% of commercial buildings in the United States are untapped, um, which equates to, you know, a little over 600,000 buildings and about 145 gigawatts of on-site solar potential. Now, granted, this doesn't necessarily take into account the um, challenges that are related to financing or the ownership um, of a building, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the developers in, out there in the audience probably know exactly the types of challenges that I'm talking about. Um, but it's still a very hefty um, potential market uh, that, that seems worthwhile to try to try and overcome some of the barriers. And then finally, sort of looking forward, um, I, Ira, if you want to go to the next slide, um, this is our outlook for commercial solar over the next five years. Now, of course, the very first thing you're going to notice is that um, 2020 is going to shrink quite a lot thanks to the impacts from the pandemic. The biggest driver um, of this decrease is, of course, um, interconnection and permitting delays that were caused during Q2. We've heard quite a bit from developers in the space that um, because of pandemic-related delays, there's been usually three to six months lag um, in some of those typical project development steps. And of course, um, the sort of what's going to happen next year is that a lot of those projects, while they have been delayed, they'll come online in 2021 instead. We don't anticipate many actual project cancellations. So that sort of leads to 
uh, the, the increase in, in 2021. Now, a lot of you are probably wondering about what about the sort of general economic slowdown and what impact is that going to have on commercial solar? We, we definitely uh, expect that the economic conditions of today are going to create um, sort of a, a, de a small decline in origination opportunities in commercial solar. But we have already started to hear from developers that origination has started to sort of reboot and recover. Um, and that it, it didn't decline as much as folks originally had anticipated. So we are expecting quite a lot. Uh, we are expecting that there will continue to be some modest growth in this segment over the next couple of years. And then the dynamics that you can see um, in this forecast that start um, after about 2023 are related to the phase down of the ITC as those incentives go away. And then sort of the last thing that I wanted to emphasize is that um, commercial solar is really very highly dependent on state policy in order to create markets. So the five states that are listed here, those five states are going to make up half of the total outlook um, over the next five years for commercial solar. And this is really being driven by the fact that these states have incentive programs or policies in place um, that drive commercial solar and create really good market opportunities. And that that sort of uh, importance of state policy will continue to be the case over the next um, several years. Um, and that's sort of the end of my, of my formal um, remarks, Tom. So I'll hand it back to you. Okay, great. <clears throat> Excuse me. We really appreciate that um, and help set the table for the conversation. Um, so with that, I'd like to start bringing up the rest of our guests today. Um, from the commercial storage side of things, we have Alan Russo. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at STEM. So, Ira, if you'd please bring Alan up on the screen. Great. Thanks so much for joining us, Alan. Um, you are on mute, just so you know. Um, also, on the manufacturer side of things, we have Ben Frank from SolarEdge. Ben is the Director of National Sales for SolarEdge's Commercial and Industrial. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Our contractor reps today are Aaron Hauser. He's the Director of Commercial Solar at Premen Roofing. Welcome, Aaron. Great to have you. And we also have Kale Garamendi, and he's the Commercial Project Developer at Sandbar Solar and Electric. Thanks for joining us, Kale. And then last but not least, um, switch order there, but we've got Guillaume Casanova uh, from the Baywa team. He's the Director of Commercial Solutions here at Baywa. And if you have, uh, if our audience has questions related to commercial storage of PV, definitely hit Gail up, uh, I'm sorry, hit Guillaume up after the town hall. He's always willing to talk your ear off. Kale, we can't see you um, on your on your video. I'm going to, but maybe, um, maybe I'll bounce it over to Aaron first. Um, Aaron, um, your company, you know, given what Michelle laid out, what resonates with you in the market? What role has COVID-19 played in the business, your business area? You know, and what are you planning for 2021? Kind of high level. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I work for a large uh, roofing contractor, and we do a lot of commercial rooftop projects. So we haven't seen a real slowdown at all in our business. Um, it's, if, if not, it's gotten busier. Um, initially, when COVID hit, I had one or two cancellations. Uh, one was a laundromat that was just kind of unsure of what's going to be going on. It was kind of backpedaling a little bit. But since COVID happened, it really hasn't slowed us down in our business. And we're doing a lot of new construction projects, multifamily projects. 
where um, they're building no matter what. So they can't stop building. So we, we work a lot of general contractors and it's been um, a, a really business as usual kind of scenario. The only thing that's slowed down is the permitting um, is taking a lot longer. Um, kind of, as Michelle mentioned, the permitting is uh, really getting to be cumbersome in some jurisdictions. So uh, it's taking a long time to get responses. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's one of the challenges. Great. Uh, Alan, let's bounce over to you. Um, for folks who don't know, STEM Energy is a commercial storage energy solution. They focus exclusively on CNI and the utility segment. Alan, how have you seen the storage market behave since the pandemic started? Um, does what you're hearing from participants here, you know, Aaron, and from what Michelle said, ring true? Uh, has the storage market, you know, behaved differently? Um, so when the entire sort of economy went to shelter in place, you know, there was a period of about one month where, you know, really we had no idea what was going to happen, but, you know, it certainly, uh, you know, I'd echo what Aaron said is since then it's never been busier. You know, folks have sort of found the swim lanes and, you know, are generally, I would say even more accessible because there's a lot less meetings that people are in that uh, I'd say are, you know, you're in, the office, the meeting's taking place, so, you know, off you go. So we're actually finding that, you know, our business is, is picking up. You know, we'll have grown 191% year over year by the end of, you know, 2020. Uh, what we are seeing is that a lot of storage demand is driven by incentive deadlines. So we had a couple large ones. We had uh, SJIP here in California uh, had a window to, to rush towards. Uh, there'll be another one as a lot of those projects come off waitlist, uh, we anticipate in November. And then, you know, of course, you've got the mass, mass smart deadlines, which are largely what we would determine, call front of the meter. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're the community solar projects that Michelle was referring to. So, you know, we haven't seen demand slow down. Uh, it's probably shifted by segment. We are now focusing more on, you know, essential retail, uh, medical device manufacturing, uh, you know, food manufacturing and uh, logistics, you know, those segments we are seeing to continue to present, you know, a significant amount of demand. And then, you know, the mush sector also is, uh, is showing a lot of demand still here in California. That's mm -hmm. been our experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Kale, I want to give you uh, an opportunity to weigh in. You're, you're frozen on the screen, but maybe we could still hear you. But, you know, what resonated with you? You're in the Santa Cruz area. You know, um, how has COVID-19 played a role in your business? Uh, what are you seeing? And maybe we lost Kale completely and he can come back online. Ben, let's bounce on over to you. Um, what's your perspective in the PV market? Um, you've led a successful team across the U.S. Are, are you seeing some re regions behaving differently than others better? So, yeah, so Tom, it's a great question. Um, you know, we, we definitely saw a progression of impacts uh, depending on where commercial projects were in the country, uh, the type of projects. Uh, for example, with a rooftop, carport, or ground mount, and, and the resources that the installer had access to. I would say that, you know, from our experience and you know, looking at our business, the hardest hit initially was in the Northeast, you know, obviously with COVID hitting New York City very, very hard, um, and all the surrounding, the surrounding areas. Uh, next was California. You know, there's a, a massive shutdown that, that took place and everything uh, pretty much ground to a halt. And then lastly, the central region, uh, where uh, it was definitely delayed before uh, things slowed down there. Uh, rooftop projects were probably hit harder than, let's say, ground mounts. 
as many customers did not want to have workers in or around their businesses, right? Or in, in many cases, some of those businesses were shut down, so nobody could go on the roofs. Um, you know, and grandmas were probably least impacted because you could still carry on construction and have social distancing and you're not impacting a place of business. Um, as Michelle brought up and, and, and others, you know, definitely the biggest challenge for everyone was permitting. I'd also say the inspection process. So when you get to the point where there's PTO, uh, you don't have an inspector. So uh, things ground to a halt there. And that was, uh, you know, the challenge of getting enough labor to do that work. And nobody wanted to come out in the early days, you know, going back three, four months ago. Uh, if we fast forward to now, uh, I, I think what we're seeing is that many companies are trying to catch up. Again, Michelle mentioned that, you know, things will catch up uh, or 2021, but we're seeing it in 2020 as well. I think there's almost a race to the end of the year where people are trying to get projects completed. You know, the year end for commercial is always a, a crazy time where people are trying to get things completed. Uh, it's twice or three times uh, as crazy now because of people catching up from COVID as well as the ITC that's, that's uh, continuing to sunset. So, uh, all that put together, you know, everybody hang on. Q4 is going to be uh, very, very crazy, I think, for everyone here. Yeah. Thanks for that perspective, Ben. Kale, it looks like we have you back on the line. Um, you you, you want to weigh in? Tell us how things are in, in Santa Cruz, where you are, what you guys are seeing. Yeah, finally. I know. I'm sorry for the, the no COVID IT-related issues. I think that's pretty common for most people these days. Absolutely. Um, um, things are pretty, pretty. Things are pretty good. I mean, this year, uh, just to kind of set the context, we're one of those less than ten megawatt um, organic growth, uh, on-site solar type of contractors. We're um, we're a regional Northern California contractor, locally owned, um, owned by a combination of our founder and and a few um, man managing employees, including myself. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we sit in the market. Mm -hmm. And uh, Michelle's insights were really interesting. I agree that I see a huge potential for growth in small and medium-sized CNI projects. We've we've realized some uh, modest growth this year, despite the the, the pandemic. Um, I think that you you can almost equate that to um, a dip because we were seeing pretty significant growth until this year. So we did have that March, April, May dip um, that was typical for a lot, of, a lot of contractors, but things have picked back up again, especially in the, in the, um, the public works, uh, nonprofit sectors. I think a lot of entities are trying to find ways to increase their operating budget. Um, third-party ownership models. So we're finding some traction there. Uh, a lot of private businesses are tightening their belt on the small commercial, less than 500 kW scale. So we're seeing a little downtick in that department. Um, a few contracts have been put on hold. So that's, that's sort of uh, where, what we've seen as of late. Um, but all in all, we're, we're pleased with how this year has gone we're just a bit anxious to see how the growth develops um, into 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and uh, we, you know, 
if it, this is a, a small sample size, but uh, just yesterday we closed a, a small commercial project with um, a business owner that is was still in college when I got into the solar business. And it just made me kind of realize in that uh, more and more we're going to see a new generation of business owners who are um, more enthusiastic than ever to adopt uh, renewable energy uh, in as as one of their their potential investments and it it was a pretty painless process with this gentleman and um, and so seventy percent of the buildings are available and a whole new generation of business owners out there in in the, in the market looking to invest and so we're encouraged nice great optimistic outlook and I want to before I kick it back to Michelle to talk about her modestly optimistic outlook for 2021 I'd like to ping ping over to Guillaume you know and Guillaume brought up something the other day to me and he he, he talked about this idea of a commercial winter so I don't want to put a damper on the conversation but Guillaume you're essentially speculating that the work from home lifestyle um, that that's come about because of COVID-19, you know, um, might have some impacts that we're not anticipating. Can you walk us through your thinking there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's wondering is a better word than speculating. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you look back in the bigger picture perspective is the GDP for 2020s and the US GDP is going down four to 5%, which means less profit overall for businesses, which means less ta- tax appetite. And we all know how that drives these, the solar industry. You know, it's, it's a risky environment and, and or riskier than last year. And so businesses might not make the same decisions and might not want to look at investing in solar and might just postpone any capital expenditure and focus on the most urgent, which for a lot of businesses is, is getting their business through the recession and picking the pieces of, of COVID-19. And, and when you look at working from home and the pandemic overall, there's there's two or three things that I don't think we, we talk about enough. Is one is the entire hospitality industry has been devastated by the pandemic. Um, in August, for example, there's some data that started to come out. In August, there's there was a 25% delinquency rate in loan repayment in the hospitality industry, right? So people are, people are starting to miss on their repayments and, and potentially heading for, for bankruptcy. Um, if you look at office blocks, um, they also face an uncertain future. The, the delinquency rate over there is more like 10%, so it's, it's not as bad, but it's still a vast amount compared to, you know, an average of less than 1%, right, in, in normal years. And, and then you think about, okay, work from homes and how the pandemic is evolving. You know, the, the UK, for example, just advised their... their um, the people to say, hey, encouragement to work from home instead of going back to the office or closer to, to us in the U.S., you have J.P. Morgan. They, they brought back their employees and then two people tested positive and then they had to move them all out of the office. And, and as people work from home, the, the investment case to, to upgrade your, your offices and your commercial space are not um, as, as important, right? You think about you'd have less energy needs because the people are not in the office. So why would you necessarily consider solar at first, right? And so it's not going to be long-term forever, right? But it's going to be a little bit of, of time for people to rethink, okay, how, how do we work with an office again, right? As, as our workers work from home, they're more used to it to work from home. We've developed new processes. 
And so I think we don't necessarily um, anticipate that in, in the pure numbers, right? We don't necessarily think about that. Um, and, you know, that said, it's, it's not going to be all bad in commercial winter. Maybe it, it sounds ominous and it's a big word, but uh, maybe it's just commercial, uh, it's fall season, maybe. Um, yeah. You know, you think about, there are going to be opportunities, right? Um, I think we've talked about some of opportunities here in uh, already with some of the folks, but think about pu- public institutions. I think it's, it's a great opportunity because um, they're getting, getting less, less tax revenue. So they, they need to find a way to reduce their operating right. ex- expenditure potentially, right? right? Um, the industrial segment is still very much alive. We actually need to produce more stuff. And Alan was mentioning some of the, the segments that are thriving right now. So overall, you know, you have, you have uh, this momentum of work from home that may impact some segments and, and contractors out there need to find a niche uh, markets that will be right. more, more important for them in the near future. Okay. Awesome. Differentiation, right? Yeah. Um, I, I want to go to Michelle and then I want to get Alan and Ben to both weigh in because we're talking about, you know, what are the challenges we're facing too? But Michelle, what's your take on this commercial winter idea? You know, how are you accounting for the, the, those potential decreases and, you know, people not being in the office, all of that? Are you accounting for that in your 2020 on Outlook? Well, we certainly do take into account those like GDP figures that um, that Guillaume was referencing when we're when we're thinking about the outlook uh, for commercial solar. To sort of uh, offer a counter uh, to some of the points that that Guillaume made, um, the the hardest hit segments that um, that Guillaume was referencing, like hotels or offices. Um, and I'd be very curious if uh, the other contractors on the line agree with me, but those have always been really challenging commercial solar customers to begin with. The most sort of promising customers that tend to have the most volume and the the biggest projects uh, that are easier to finance are these like big uh, energy intensive commercial and industrial uh, companies, uh, warehouse sites, the mush sector is a really big uh, growing one. And not that uh, there's not concerns with like sort of the financial health of like schools and hospitals and, and things like that, but those institutions aren't necessarily going anywhere. So, so that sort of the, I would say that, that the, what's probably likely to happen is that Prior to all of this, there may have been a slightly increasing comfort level with doing more of those kind of like office or hotel or retail businesses. Now that's probably going to take a couple steps backward. It's going to be a little bit harder for um, financiers and 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 such to be willing to to provide capital for for those types of projects. Um, I, I don't know if Guillaume was referring to this, but there's also sort of a trend in the Northeast where there's not a lot of construction activity literally during the winter. <laughs> so maybe that could slow down in like December, January, February. Right. Um, but, but like Ben was saying, Q4 tends to be a very big quarter uh, for mm-hmm. commercial solar. It's not quite as predictably seasonal as say residential, um, but it does tend to be um, a much a much bigger quarter, and especially with everybody trying to get in that ITC, twenty six percent. 
Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for that. Um, Alan, let, let's bounce over to you. Um, so we're talking about, you know, challenges that we might be facing, you know, uh, potentially a depressed economy, you know, don't want to lab- belabor that, but, you know, what might our contractors uh, partners, what might they anticipate? You know, for example, are folks going to be more focused on cost, not only focused on capex, but also opex of the solar system? You know, what should contractors focus on uh, when approaching projects in Q4 and Q twenty twenty one? Given what we've been talking about here, perfect. Getting trained on Zoom here. Uh, yeah, I think you hit a couple of things. You know, um, spot on. You know, one of which is the the underlying economics and the risk profile is top of mind when you know we were engaging with commercial customers either direct through our enterprise engagements or in tandem with a with a partner you know most of our business right now is focused you know i'd say the entirety of our business at this point is focused on partner enablement so even when we're working directly with a customer we're typically working with a bidding partner uh what we're hearing a lot about is you know risk you know how do i know what my loads are going to be so i can properly size this thing and you know how do i think about, you know, my facility. Well, what the storage addition does to the solar project is a couple different things. One, one of it is it, it bolts an algorithm to an otherwise relatively, you know, unintelligent system. And, you know, if you think you're going to have three to five rate cases over the life of a typical uh, solar project, you know, having an algorithm that you know, is artificial intelligence enabled that will adjust as sort of the environment changes, whether it's your load profile, whether it's the rate structures, um, you know, that is a, that is an element of risk adjustment. And then, you know, of course, you know, by doing time shifting, we call energy arbitrage by demand charge management, et cetera. You know, we are, we find typically able to meaningfully impact the cash flows of a solar project. And, you know, now's the time to get your learning because you do get the ITC, uh, at the maximum available level at this point by attaching storage to your solar project. But the other piece that, you know, in the last year has just really taken off for us is resiliency. So mm-hmm. historically, you didn't get any, you know, resiliency benefit for having a, a, a solar project or even necessarily a standalone storage project. Uh, over the last two years, we've been significantly investing in this direction. And with the rolling blackouts in PG&E, you know, uh, significant incentive dollars like through SGIP, with the adders and SGIP uh, equity resiliency, you know, these are enormously beneficial to the project, you know, if you can uh, add resiliency. And it's very top of mind for customers. So it's a, it's a higher value add engagement. And then also, you know, at whatever, I came from the solar industry, at whatever dollars per watt panels are going for today, you know, it was for us very, very hard to get enough profit out of a job in order to cover our costs and leave money left over to reinvest in the business you know, adding storage significantly increases the realized gross margin dollars from a project just because the, you know, the project value gets bigger. You know, whatever your profit margin is, you add it to a much, much bigger base by adding storage. So it improves the project cash flows, improves the project realized gross margins and adds more value to the customer and de-risks the project. So, you know, there's a learning curve to figure out how to do it. But, you know, we feel that there's very strong structural drivers at the moment to like take the time to figure it out because it mm-hmm. should be transformative. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, thanks for that perspective. Ben, let's, let's hop over to you. Um, when we think about, you know, Q4 and 2021, for those customers wary on costs, you know, how would you uh, suggest approaching this topic? You know, what should contractors be really focused on? 
Well, uh, you know, Tom, I, th I think this really plays into the SolarEdge uh, business proposition when you look at CapEx and, and OpEx. Um, you know, in fact, our, our CNI solutions, uh, in fact, all of our solutions focus on lifecycle costs of any PV project. Uh, as you stated, you know, we also believe that the industry needs to focus on both the CapEx and then the long-term OpEx of, of these projects. And, you know, we believe that you know, with our solution, we're able to help customers uh, drive greater project revenue, right? So a little bit of what Alan's talking about, where the PV side is helping, and, and we're able to do that. Uh, but we're also able to help re reduce their costs because of our optimized solutions, uh, both uh, on, uh, on the CapEx side, uh, as well as the, the operating side, and then also being able to mitigate project risks, you know, when you look at things like safety um, and, and bankability. Uh, so these are the reasons that, that SolarEdge has grown to a, a dominant position, not just here in the U.S., but North America as, as well as globally. So, you know, I think an unfortunate event like what's happening now with, with COVID is, is really f further reinforcing that, that message that, you know, project costs, both the CapEx and the OpEx are important, and we should be looking at all of it. Great. Um, Kale. Why don't you weigh in a little bit on commercial resiliency, OPEX, you know, those, those topics? Sure. <clears throat> you know, I, I think that we're all kind of realizing that there's a, a new calculus going on when it, when it comes to um, the financial feasibility analysis behind a decision whether or not um, to adopt commercial energy storage. And, and it, this, this came up just yesterday. I was talking to a locally owned sort of um, this, there's a, there's a, a market in the area that a supermarket that is, it's not a big national chain um, established. Uh, everyone knows this spot in, in the area and they lost hundreds of thousands of dollars of product in um, recent rolling blackouts. And it was uh, this decision whether or not to adopt resiliency as part of an energy storage project is something that is, uh, you don't just simply look at your savings and the, the incremental increase in savings as a result of energy arbitrage and decide whether or not it's a, a, a meaningful or a worthwhile investment. It's like there, there's, there's this whole intangible, hard to pin down dollar amount that can be saved and, uh, and, and not to mention the revenue by staying open or at least um, partially open as a business. It's a little harder to do, just drop that into a spreadsheet um, or into a cash flow uh, table. And, but, but a conversation with, with a customer around these topics can really be meaningful. And then, and then those decisions might become relatively easy. And so I think in this environment, particularly as we get into fire this fire season, late, late fall or uh, late summer, early fall fire season, um, it's top of mind for a lot of businesses. And so I'm excited to see how this momentum that we've seen in the industry and residential um, storage uh, move forward and, and sort of overflow into the CNI segment of the industry. And uh, that leads to the whole OPEX conversation. We as a business have really embraced the idea that we've got to, we've got to um, engage with each and every one of our commercial customers um, and on an, on an O&M basis so that we can um, build that trust, that ongoing, um, you know, 
modest revenue stream, sort of established repeat revenue stream, and mm-hmm. um, and to uh, it sort of just establish ourselves as the experts in the industry beyond just churn and burn, build projects onto the next. And so it's uh, it's it's an important piece of of our our business model and our outlook right. for 2021. Right. Gosh, there's just so much to talk about here. I've got like three other topics in front of me, but I I don't think we're going to get to all of them. But let's talk a little bit more about resiliency, wildfire. Um, Alan, you know, we've we've had had tremendous wildfires in California, Oregon, Washington, um, flooding happening. Um, People are responding to resiliency. We had grid outages like Kale mentioned. Can you walk us through what role uh, storage played in that? Uh, and going forward, how should contractors think about positioning storage so it, so it benefits their customer and the grid as well? So I, there's a couple things regarding you know, the concept of resiliency. You know, resiliency means different things to different folks. So it's a higher value added engagement. We need to sit down and kind of tease out you know, is it the whole building? Is it certain business processes? You know, for how long? Is it, you know, full blackout protection? Is it voltage, you know, support that you're looking for? You know, there's a, there's a conversation to be had. And just engaging in that conversation is, is highly differentiating. And it helps the customer figure out in their own mind, you know, really what do they need? And, you know, I, I've always found throughout my career, customers buy an emotion and they justify with data. You know, somewhere during the sales process, they're going to decide that, you know, they really feel more comfortable working with you guys because you're more credible and you're highly knowledgeable. And there's a bond of trust that's built up because we know it's a six to nine month sales cycle or nine to 12 month sales cycle in, in, you know, solar and storage in general. And, you know, you start to get signals in the form of coaching that, you know, we view as the canary in the mind for when a project is, is moving in our direction. And storage it's, uh, resiliency plays very significantly into that, whether the customer procures it ultimately or not. And, you know, what we solve the customer's problem, however, it's scoped in the resiliency context when when it is identified and ultimately transacted. Uh, what we're doing for the state, you know, in August, you know, when we were sort of at the peak of the, um, you know, the heat waves, and I don't recall if that was also wildfire, you know, impacted or not, but it was sort of the, when the grid was under maximum stress. Uh, we, we, op- we have 76% of the install base in California for commercial storage, and we operate the world's largest virtual power plant, largely in Southern California. And, um, you know, we got an emergency call that said, you know, please take 50 megawatts off of the grid. Now would be nice, please. <laughs> right? Something, you know, uh, along those lines. And that's about 20,000 homes worth of um you know, grid support we were able to provide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the, that's the type of societal benefit that, you know, STEM or, you know, uh, networked distributed storage is able to provide, right. you know, to a, to a load zone. There's a lot of structural drivers for storage at the moment for that reason. You know, we see the, the impact of intermittent renewables on the grid. So you're seeing a lot of the state level mandates that, you know, I'm sure Michelle and Woodmack could speak, you know, far more eloquent, eloquently to, uh, and you're seeing these these incentive dollars line up behind attaching storage to solar, like you see in Massachusetts, where now it's a mandate, um, you know, for any meaningfully sized solar project right. that have storage. So, you know, these are the benefits that you know folks need to get comfortable thinking through and talking about uh, with their customers. Yeah, yeah, and I think what what hits home for me is you're talking about education. You really need to know the landscape, know what. Um, 
customers were responding to on the sales side, Aaron, um, why don't we pull you in here um, on these the resiliency uh, topics, you know, understanding your market. What are your customers, and you're muted, by the way, what are your customers responding to um, on, on these topics? Yeah, so I'm, I'm in uh, San Diego, California, um, sdg and my customers haven't had many issues with resiliency. Um, most of the rooftop customers I have are, when I bring energy storage in, it's more for demand savings and uh, load shifting than resiliency. But I do understand you know, what Alan and Kale were discussing is that, that value of the, what that resiliency means and a dollar amount to that customer is, is super important for them to really add more value to that, that energy storage solution. Um, I, you know, I've tried selling storage for five years uh, commercially. I think I've, I've only been able to get one across the finish line. And it was, and it was, uh, and it was because of um, just demand charges. And then also in a, where SDG, where I am, uh, the rate structures kind of are competing for solar and um, energy storage. So the resiliency will add another layer of, importance for energy storage for these customers. Um, however, you know, what, what, the, what we're seeing is my company is what we're, what we're bidding on and our customers are, again, a lot of new construction, multifamily. We're doing some uh, retrofit projects, but it hasn't been a, a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of resiliency um, challenges coming my way. Awesome. Um, Michelle, let, let's bring you in here, try to put maybe a cap on this conversation. Um, I'm wondering, you know, does your research, um, take into account the effects of climate change. Um, but maybe I can ask you a more focused question. You know, if you can help our contractor partners put themselves in the mindset of those business owners, you know, and how they're going to decide to take on CNI projects, you know, any insights you can give us there? Yeah, I, I, all of the messages that folks have been saying about needing a lot of customer education is definitely what we hear as well. I think um, what I'm always thinking about when I'm hearing that kind of thing is you have to balance the sort of time and investment in customer education and the sales process with how much it costs. Um, that's always been sort of the tricky balance um, in commercial solar. So, um, you know, making making sure that those those processes can be efficient, um, making sure that the sort of the financials and any kind of messaging to the customer is clear, um, sort of being, you know, real prepared and, and doing a lot of research in terms of the sort of creditworthiness or, or viability of a customer, any sort of um, work that you can do on that end, I think helps that process go faster. And then therefore, makes the the sale and the project timeline um, be as efficient and snappy as possible, which is always the thing that sort of the, of all the segments of solar, commercial is the one that takes the longest. Um, so anything you can do to sort of like improve the that process and, and make it as streamlined and simple as possible um, is helpful. Looks like Tom is frozen. <laughs> I think um, uh, Tom is telling me... Uh... <laughs> Tom is telling me he's experiencing a rolling blackout. Uh, so his, his power went out, <laughs> so unfortunately. But, you know, it's, it's a 9.57. So um, there's so many more questions that we had. We wanted to talk about product transition. Uh, we, you know, the industry is moving mm -hmm. to larger formats of panels and what that means for level, levelized cost of energy and 
Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to tackle all of it. Um, we yeah, wanted to thank all the participants uh, that come in. Uh, there is a shameless plug. You see here the current. Um, that's uh, my new newsletter is coming out. It's talk talking specifically about commercial and commercial PVN storage. So with that, um, before I experience a, a rolling blackout, uh, I want to wave <laughs> goodbye and, and, uh, and hope you, you have a good day today. Thank you for coming. Thanks, everybody. This was fun.